Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I go. That's a bad hat, Andrew. It's a cool show. Not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful from you, love. Hello, 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 and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that is to binge watch, deep dive, and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Handmaid's Tale Season 4. Damask Leary, how are you today? Oh, pretty good. It's uh, 9 a.m. here. Um, mm. I woke up maybe 45 minutes ago. Just, you know, bursting with enthusiasm to talk about Handmaid's Tale <laughs> <laughs> this early in the morning. How yeah, are you, Brad? It's a good time for that. Listen, I, I like the energy we bring in a morning session, so this should be mm. fun. Okay. I'm not too bad. I've had a reasonable week. I ended up watching nine episodes of The Handmaid's Tale yesterday. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. No, are you doing, okay? I, no, it was fine, actually. I thought I was going to do a good job. I, I planned it out pretty well throughout the week. I started watching. I watched episode one. I was like, oh, cool, if I get two more today, the next day, two more the day after, and then mm-hmm. my day off, I'll just watch sort of the back half of the season. Um, I got so busy at work that it was just like, fuck that. I guess I'm watching the whole thing in a day, pretty much. So <laughs> so I did that. But um, no, I actually, I, I was surprised how smoothly that went. I thought that was going to mm. be worse. I like... Did little breaks in between episodes, like, okay, I'll go do a little chore, come back, you know, refreshed, go again, refill my coffee. That what was a lovely good. little day for you. I'm, it, I'm glad now. It kind of was. The only problem with those is usually on my Wednesdays, I try all my days off. It was a Thursday this week. Um, I tried to to be productive and do other things. And this mm-hmm. situation, it was like, where can I fill in little bits of productivity amongst just binging television? And they explained to your fiance that, yeah, I set, spent most of the day sitting on the couch watching a television no, show. No, it's work, honey. I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I explain If we ever do a Patreon or a coffee or whatever we're possibly planning to do, maybe we can. I can justify that. Anyway, let's not dilly-dally and get to our spoiler-free review of The Handmaid's Tale Season 4. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Nearly two years after Season 3's conclusion, we pick up pretty much exactly where we left off, with June Osborne having just pulled off an impossible mission. She's rewarded with a hot lead gut infusion, but since we're into Season 4, I guess she's going to survive? Or will she? Yes, obviously. While the core cast remains rather familiar, it appears Elizabeth Moss was getting a little bored in front of the camera, choosing to sit in the director's chair three times. Season 4 consists of 10 episodes, down from 13 in Season 2 and 3, each coming in at around 49 minutes and took us approximately 8 hours and 15 minutes to watch, and it has been confirmed that The Handmaid's Tale uh, will return for a Season 5. We don't know when, we don't know how, but it has been officially renewed. So, Damas... I mean, I think we can figure out how... Right. Well, probably in the form of a television show, I imagine, yeah. yes. I mean, any other way would be very surprising. <laughs> and listen, sometimes, you know, these things get cancelled. They spin off into a comic book series. That's well, That's true. what happened to Buffy, you know, after it finished yeah. in season five. Handmaid's you showed Tale me, Brad. You showed me, yeah. 
it's been a while since we've looked at The Handmaid's Tale. Two mm. years since uh, yeah, yeah. season three ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did review the first season with a good friend of ours, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, and then season two, I think she jumped in for that. And then season three, we did together. Do you remember much about those three seasons? And if you do, do you remember how you felt about The Handmaid's Tale up to this point? I really loved season one. I thought, fuck yeah, this is a show that I am into. I thought it was you know, pretty harrowing stuff, but ultimately I enjoy the story that they were telling. I thought mm. it was quite powerful and quite beautiful, particularly in the way that they were telling it. Um, so I really enjoyed season one. Um, season two, I was less impressed with, um, <clears throat> just simply because it became a, a little bit more focused on the repetition of mm-hmm. violence, which I think I took some issue with. Season three um, didn't get better for most of the season for me and so it was still really focused on um, the violence and less about, you know, the perseverance of, you know, the human spirit in all of that. Um, It got quite dark, though I I think I was pretty relieved by the ending of season three – but I also said to you that I didn't want to come back and review any more of it. But here I am. So I don't sure. know what happened. Um, Somehow look, I'm along easily the way, manipulated, I suppose. You got the idea that this is going to be the last season. Yes. Which I don't know where that idea came from. I don't know either. I don't the, know. It's always been a discussion this show had a 10-season plan. <laughs> which is, i got to tell you, after watching season four is absurd. That, that is, there's 10 seasons of this show. It's so dumb. And I don't think um, it's going to happen. And there's discussions like, will season five be the last? I just hope they realize when it's going to start to peter out and try and finish it there. Uh, I um, would argue. I think that happened now, two we, seasons ago, but sure. sure. Yeah. I would argue, if even if it's not the official season finale, if you want to jump off here, then mm. you're a pretty good point to jump off, really. Yeah. And say, I'm, I've had my fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not planning to come back for more of this. <laughs> yes. If I can if I can think where I know where this is going. But anyway, another point. Uh, similar feelings. I didn't get to review season one on the podcast, but I liked it a lot as well. You and Lauren gave it five out of five stars, so highest possible honour there. Uh, we both gave, or we all of us gave season two a 3.5, and then you mm-hmm. and I gave season three a four out of five. I think one of the main things that worked well for season three mm-hmm. is that while it was still grim, dark, and depressing, it wasn't as overtly violent um, mm. necessarily. It's not like happy things were happening, but it wasn't so focused on showing or illustrating the extent of the horrors as much. Mm. Um, and There's that only so was many rapes you can watch, you know? Yeah, it was... And, like, when they chose to do things, they would often, rather than not show it, imply it, cut away before it happened, you understood what happened, the, you know, the intensity or the intention of what happened was understood. I didn't need to see it as it had yeah. been shown in previous seasons. Uh, with all that in mind, though, Damask, would you like to give us your spoiler-free review of Season 4 of The Handmaid's Tale? Sure, let's do this, Brad. Okay, so <laughs> I read through my spoiler-free review of season three just before I sat down to write this one. Smart. Um, yep, <laughs> it's probably something I should do on the regular, but I refuse to. Um, and I said I wasn't going to come back for another season, and you know, here I am. Because, uh, like you said, I feel, I don't know why, but in my head, I was sure this was going to be the final season. So I was like, oh well, we have to do. There's reality and then there's a hope. There's a <laughs> yes, prayer. That's right. Living in my own delusion. Um, <laughs> it's a comfortable place for me. Uh, look, 
I'm not sure how to ease into this review. You know, I was writing beginnings that just didn't work at all because they, they all just sounded like I, you know, cornered our listeners into a room and started yelling at them. So I'm just sorry. I'm sorry to everyone Ooh, at the jump here. Wait, you're doing a you're doing a broad. Here we I go. I could never do a full broad. I don't <laughs> I don't have the capacity. Um, but I'll, I'm going to do my best. Okay. It's invincible 2.0. Okay, let's go. <laughs> no, but I did rewrite it so it's it's less yelly. All right. So, I'll start with the good stuff. Um, the season, this season does move us forward. Like, it really does. Um, you know, towards the mid to last third of the season, the writers have definitely made a choice to move us beyond the very tired kind of catch and release model of previous seasons. And for that, like, I am very grateful. Uh, This show needed to mix things up. I even had a moment this season where I thought to myself, oh, my God, maybe three and a half seasons of being tortured have been worth it. I was like, oh, my God, is this show pulling off a reverse Game of Thrones? Are they going to make the ending so good that it retroactively makes the show rewatchable? Because there's no way in hell before this moment in this season I was ever going to rewatch The Handmaid's Tale. There's sure. just no fucking way. It's so depressing and awful. But there's a moment this season that made me go, oh, my God, maybe it will be worth it and it will make you want to rewatch it. And I was I, like... I, I think... I want to say I think there's some truth to what you're saying there. Yeah. And uh, Emily Vanderwolf wrote a uh, an article about this as well mm. where, yeah, it doesn't quite hasn't quite uh, saved the show in that regard, Mm -hmm. but it does go some way to going, there was a point to why this felt it was the way it was to some degree. Whether or not you feel like that was enough is a different question, Mm. but at least it makes you go, well, at least I now feel like there was a plan in place. Yes. And that this had a meaning um, to some degree. Yeah. So, in that point, I was like, oh, you know, that's pretty amazing that they've made me, someone who was fully fucking checked out, feel that even if for a moment. Um, Now, as it turns out, you know, the show goes on past that moment and I've decided that's probably not the case. (laughs) Um, uh, But it was was a nice experience to have, like, you know, moment of reprieve in this show that otherwise feels pretty fucking tedious. Um, All right, so here we go. What this show does that frustrates me so much is that it gives you hope of something new and exciting but so often pulls you into the same dynamics. So I spoke just before about new plots and the show moving forward. And in a lot of ways, it really does do that. But so many of the character dynamics are the same. You know, you think a person has changed and so you get excited that there are whole new aspects to explore. Except no, the show shoves them back into the same box. Or perhaps a character does in fact change. But uh, it's always like into a more simplistic version, you know, one that barely holds your attention. It's this push and pull, this back and forth that just doesn't feel organic, but instead feels like the writers wanting to give themselves more episodes to write. It feels like stalling. And so often I find myself in this show just thinking, get to the point of your story already, please. I feel manipulated by the writers. And don't get me wrong, I love, 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 love being manipulated by writers. In fact, I think it's one of my favorite things, you know, but I want those manipulations to feel as though they have purpose. 
You want to have the impression that the creators are taking you somewhere, somewhere that will make all of this pain and stress worth it. However, this show has taught me that I will be given hope only so that I can feel distressed when it's taken away. And that is a shit feeling. Um, The Handmaid's Tale has been trauma put to film. But what got me through so much of that previously was hope, you know, hope that things will get better. The women will rise. The injustice will be righted. And, you know, not in the traditional sense, because I think that's too easy and not a very interesting story. But in whatever way, those who have suffered such violence can get whatever it is that they need. You know, I can't help but think of a show like I May Destroy You. Like that show was hard to watch in a lot of ways. And its central story was about a trauma that isn't and shouldn't be easily resolved. Certainly not in the expected ways. That show looks at all the ways that being through something terrible can transform a person. You know, the complexity of emotions around all of that. And it tells a brutal story that is using a lens that feels truthful. The Handmaid's Tale, however, takes violent fantasies and brings them to life. Its emotional story is stunted. They want you to think they're showing the complexities of trauma. I don't think they are. I see one note. I also see a fear around discussing what it actually feels like. They simplify it through rage, destruction and violence. And that might be all they want to do. But I genuinely do not want to be a part of it anymore. I found myself asking, who is this for? Viewers obviously get something out of it, but I don't. It feels like tragedy porn. You know, I personally need more than physical violence, emotional distress and righteous, all-consuming anger. That is not interesting to me. Some may feel elated by this season's end. I, however, just felt hopeless. I don't want to be angry. You know, anger is fine and good and healthy, but people, while yes, containing that, are so much more. I think what makes this story feel hollow is there is no love. So much of June's story is centered around her love for her daughter, Hannah, but this character no longer has the capacity to feel love. June, the character of June, does not exist anymore. June is simply a paragon of vengeance. She is a revenge fantasy come to life. You know, this show will overuse close-ups of her crying eyes to tell me that she feels things, but I no longer know June. She has just transformed into scar tissue. That's all she is. And maybe that's the point of this story. It's a, see, look what they've turned her into. She's a monster now, just like them. And they can do that. But what a boring character. I'm saying it again, but I definitely won't be watching the next season. I absolutely will not. There you go. Very nice. Uh, I disagree with you on multiple fronts, but I totally understand exactly what you're saying. And I'm looking forward to talking about it when we get to spoilers because it's hard to discuss this in detail without discussing that sort of stuff because Mm -hmm. we need to look at what's happening and where things might be going, what the show is trying to say. But I totally, totally, 100% explain what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, this is the best season since season one, I think. It's not as good as season one, not even close, Mm -hmm. but it's better than season two by a long shot and did a lot of things that I liked. I went back and looked at my review for season three as well and actually just continued a trend of 
improving the show or building the show into something else that season three was doing. Mm. Um, so first of all, 10 episodes rather than 13 episodes, fucking great move. Don't need more episodes just for the sake of it. And I'm really glad mm. that they were able to keep this a much more contained season. In fact, I believe Amen. they released the first three episodes all at once. So this show really, if you're watching it week by week and keeping up you know, relatively quickly, it was only really up back on the air for about eight weeks or something like that. Mm. I Which, will agree with that. Absolutely. I thought I, the shorter season, it really benefited from that. Really benefited. It felt more focused mm. because of that. It didn't feel yes. like it was having to have filler episodes. There's that word. Filler episodes <laughs> in this season, though, to mm-hmm. pad out the runtime or just for the sake of it, mm-hmm. it meant it had to be a little bit leaner and a little bit more focused in what it was doing and where it was trying to get to. And that was definitely a step in the right du- direction. I think it's still beautifully produced. Yes, those close-ups are you could say overused. I'd say they are just part of the DNA of the show now. It's like I hate that them. is that is look at s- mean anything. It's so overdone. Anyway, sorry. That Go is on. the Go signature on. of the show, but the, it is it is used in one very specific way, and that is it's always focused on June. This this is the Handmaid's Tale, and the Handmaid in question is June Osborne, and there is no way you should forget that. And it's about letting. And your mileage may vary on this. It's about letting Elizabeth Moss do her thing and making sure the camera's close enough to capture it. And it made it- sense in season one, though, because like obviously it it takes place in a society where she is so kind of forcefully repressed that like her only way to express is in the subtleties of her face. Sure, that's not the case anymore. Except it pisses it- me off. Except it is. It's this. <sighs> it's the idea that just because your situation has changed environmentally doesn't mean it's changed up here. And that is what the show wants to discuss more than anything. And that's now that that but story for her, doesn't it interest has you. changed up here. And it's mm, changed up here in such a boring, shitty way. That's that's the part I disagree with. But that is also, I think, what you're struggling well that you don't don't like about the show. And that's fair. Like if that's yeah. not a story that you're interested in, then mm. then get the fuck out of here. Like this is not <laughs> this the show's not gonna do anything for you. Are you telling but, me to leave? Yeah I am. But the show <laughs> But I mean, you've been telling me to leave. You've been telling, you've been trying to leave for two seasons now. But the, <laughs> but that is what the show is doing, and mm. it is not subtle about it. it this is this, this show has never ever been subtle, mm. and that is a real genuine criticism of it. It is another thing Emily Vanderwolf said in her article that I really liked. This is a show that is on the edge of camp at all times, but not in that fun, like, isn't that funny sort of way? Isn't that over the top? It can both have a Twilight-esque romance where you're in love with two people at the same time, right? Two baby daddies, and be about a horrific um, post, not post-apocalyptic, but like dystopian future for women. And... It rides the line on the horrific far more than it does the campy side of it, but it's it's only a, a couple of bad lines away from being really soap operatic at times. Mm-hmm. And again, that does not necessarily make it a good show, but I am just there enough with how the show does things. It really helps from the production sta- uh, values point of view. It is a beautifully produced show, and I've said this in previous reviews, where it, the care it puts into how it puts a shot together or a scene together is immaculate in ways that other shows don't do. I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. I think Elizabeth Moss was saying, continues to kill it. My appreciation for her as an actress has gone up so much recently, especially after watching Mad Men. I fucking love her. And I think that when she's given, whatever she's given to do, she does it with a plum. Whether or not you'd like what she's given to do, that's a question. <laughs> yeah. But I really, really appreciate she is working her ass off and 
it, it's it's there for everyone to see. I'm reminded again this season she didn't have as much to do, but Anne Dowd also is incredible. I thought Elizabeth Moss was a particularly strong director. She directed three episodes, mm. one of which I really didn't like, two of which I really did like. And I was mm. like, that's a good sign. I, I'm looking forward to whatever she does going forward. I may have a little bit of a, a crush on her as a creative, I'll be honest. Um, even less of that misery porn. Yes, grim dark still. Mm. But again, they're not focusing on that like they used to. It happens, it's there, or it's discussed, but the perspective on it has changed a little bit, which is interesting. Now, well, I thought it was interesting. It sounds like you didn't, mm-hmm. but I think that that shift is helpful, and it's not always or far less at the expense of women now, which is what the show was, wasn't was doing in the first two seasons in particular. It was always at the expense of women, mm-hmm. and now when it chooses to de- do things, it often lets us know what's about to happen that something awful is about to happen, and then cuts away and doesn't have to show us anymore. And mm-hmm. thank you for that. We don't always need to see it mm. full on. It's It served its purpose for a while, and then it got torturous, I think, in both literal and metaphorical sense. <laughs> flashbacks are also non, basically non-existent. I think there was maybe two or three episodes that had flashbacks. I think it's, it's no longer so concerned about the past. It's concerned about the yeah. future and where we're going next. This is a good thing for the show. Most importantly, as you said, though, at the start of your review, this is the season that breaks what had been a very predictive cycle for the show. And to say any more about this would be a spoiler, but season four's story takes us to some long overdue places that mean the status quo shifts more than it ever has before. And thank fuck for that, because if they hadn't done that, the show was really in trouble, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But thank goodness, whether it's overdue or not, it's welcome that it's finally here and that we're able to move into the next part of this story, finally. One big criticism I... Well, not a big criticism. One criticism I do have, though, is that sometimes things logistically, when moves need to be made, this is very plot sort of stuff, Mm. are starting to seem a little bit too easy. Yeah. Things that used to feel unreachable now seem much more attainable. And the best Mm -hmm. comparison I can make is during Game of Thrones, sort of last couple of seasons in particular, distance stopped mattering. Where all of a sudden, any two characters who had been separated for by huge amounts of distance mm. for seasons at a time could all of a sudden just go from one place to another and boop, teleport and be in the same place and be doing things together. For the sake of the story, I kind of understand why you do that. That distance is, is just getting in the way of telling them what you need to happen to happen. But it did start to feel like, oh, okay, the, the, this doesn't feel as... Things don't feel as separate or as far removed or as distant as they used to. Mm. And that kind of, while allows for more things to take place, also feels like, well, the reality of this world is being stretched a little bit, which is a bit of a shame. But I I repeat what I said at the start of this. I thought this is the best season since season one. I'm not necessarily excited about where season five goes. If you told me this is the last season, I would have gone, cool. I feel like there was enough of a thesis here. Mm-hmm. And enough said now, there was enough of a full stop at the end of this that to go back and watch the whole show in context with how this season ends, I think you come away with an idea of what the overall message of the show would be. Continuing to a season five, it needs to have a very clear idea of what it wants to do and where it's going. And I think I know what that probably is. I maybe don't trust they can do a better job of doing it in front of the camera than if they just left it here and left it a little bit up to the imagination to decide what you think happened next. 
if mm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. How would you score this season out of five stars, Damask? I'm giving it a three. Yeah. Three. That is at the bottom of your it is. ranking list. Holy shit, really? Okay. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm so... And I think listening to your spoiler-free review, mm-hmm. I think it really does matter if you're done with the show or not. You know what oh, I mean? Definitely. Like, I, I'm so exhausted by this show yeah. that even moments where I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, this is a moment I enjoy or whatever. Always coming back to... I don't know, this show just makes me feel bad and I just was not vibing yeah. with it. I mean, that's its intention too. And if it's not what you... Yeah. If it's not what you're here for or not something Because I don't, that- yeah, necessarily disagree with anything really that you're saying. Well, yeah. A couple of things here and there. But like, I get it. I can And I can get why people now, I think I have a better understanding after hearing your review, why you'd be enjoying it. Um but I just, yeah, I just don't anymore. And I think, yeah, I just, I can't get back into it. I can't get back into caring. Like, I've that's just been beaten out of me, is like yep. caring about this world and I anymore. don't see it coming back is the problem, right? If the thing that you mm. attached yourself to was what was happening in season one. Yeah. And you want somehow to return to that. It's not it's even never- returning to that, but I guess going in a direction that I want. And the show's not doing that. Yeah. And I just, so I just can't anymore. Yeah. No, I think that, that's totally fair. And yeah, if it's, if it's time to jump off, it's time to jump yeah. off. Uh, I'm going to give this a four out of five. Mm-hmm. I do think it's the best. It's a high four out of five because I gave season three a four as well. I wouldn't give it quite up to 4.5, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give it the four and a high four. Uh, definitely for me, the best season since season one. The most, so one of the things that's happened, particularly in season two and three, I think, is I felt like, when is this going to finally shift in a way that's going to keep the story moving um, and not feel like we're going in circles? Because this season did it, I have to reward it for that. I want Mm -hmm. to let the creatives know that this is where we need to be moving now Mm -hmm. and we can't... We can never go back to what we were doing in season two and three. And if you do, you know, what are we doing here? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, before we shimmy into spoilers, we'd like to shamelessly plead and beg everyone who enjoys this show to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Not a goddamn single thing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and a bunch of lovely words our way. And to twist your arm just a little bit, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we'll finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. 
We would also love you to share hunting seasons with people you know, random strangers on the street, anyone you might be actively cyberbullying, anyone <laughs> who you what? think you might also enjoy listening. Next week, we'll be back with our review of We Are Lady Parts Season 1. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of We Are Lady Parts, or if you have any thoughts on The Handmaid's Tale, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include in a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at HuntingSCast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for The Handmaid's Tale Season 4. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 to 4 of The Handmaid's Tale. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of The Handmaid's Tale up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. What was really helpful later on this season was Mm. when June gets up to do her like testimony in front of mm. the judge, whatever. That was a very helpful recap of everything that's happening <laughs> three and was, a half seasons. Yeah. Uh, and very cheap to produce, I'm sure. It's just mm. put uh, Elizabeth Moss on a It was a, a nice little stand. previously on in the episode. Speaking of, mm. one episode, I think it was episode six, had a four-minute recap beforehand. It was beforehand. so long. <laughs> it it was, was, yeah, Angela and I said the same thing, like, this recap is like, is this just the entire show? <laughs> like, what's going on? It kind of had to be. I can see yeah. why, because it was a pivotal moment, I think, in the story. But it was also like a 41-minute episode. So, it took up like 10% of the entire episode. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Where I've got a few places I'd like to start, but is there somewhere in particular you'd like to start? No, you, you can lead the, the convo, Brad. I want to I go over some of the things you mentioned in your review in a bit more detail, just to try and get an idea of exactly what you're saying. Because you obviously you kept it vague because it was spoiler-free. Talk to me about the show giving you hope that things are going to change, but then it takes it back and really things haven't changed. What do you sort of mean by that? <sighs> um, so, a few different things and in different ways. Um, so, firstly, Janine's storyline. Mm-hmm. I just like, my one hope for this season was like, can we give this girl a goddamn break, please? Please, 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 please. Um, and so that was really, I think, upsetting to me. I feel like Janine is the one character that I'm still attached to. Sure. Um, and so to have that one character that I'm still attached to continue to have to exist in a very similar place that I've seen her exist in for the entirety of the show, I really didn't like. I also, I'm pretty done with Aunt Lydia. Like, I'm not, mm-hmm. sh- I mean, I feel like I know where they're going with her and Janine. I can see that. But it, this has been going on for so long that I feel pretty checked out of that story. Um, sorry, you can where do you, Where do you see them going? What's well, your- I assume Janine is going to be the downfall of Aunt Lydia. Um, cause I think that's probably a nice thing to do narratively. Um, yeah, it definitely feels like they've set up Janine to have like, what was happening in the middle of this season when they were in Chicago was like a discussion about Janine is for a long time seemed like the kind of clueless, mm-hmm. like impossible one to, she was more attached to staying a handmaid for a long time. Jin's really had to work very hard mm-hmm. to sort of get her to want to leave Gilead. 
we get to a point where she seems, I mean, yeah, all that stuff with her and Jill on the run really was about finding Janine's worth. And mm-hmm. then they're tragically separated when that bombing happens. Oh, tragic. But indeed. to me, in a way that she's going to almost be not the antithesis, but like the flip side of the June problem, right? Where mm-hmm. she's going to go back to Gilead with a lot more knowledge and a lot more worldliness and going to be able to do what June has been theoretically could have done if she was still back in Gilead, mm. but maybe more effectively than June because she isn't driven by rage the same well, way Well, June, June is, is the most ineffective person. Yeah. Like, she's just like, she gets to, she does a lot because she's a protagonist and the writers allow her to get away with a shit ton of stuff, but really she's a bit of a fucking idiot. Um, whereas oh, I yeah. can see, like, Janine coming in and, like, yeah, being a bit smarter, knowing how to play the game a little bit. And I get all that and I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. It's too late for me. You know what I mean? Okay, like, sure, it's been sure. so long to get to this point that, like, maybe next season or maybe the season after that, Janine might kind of be in a cool place to be doing cool things. It's yep. too late. It's okay. far too late for me. Um, the next one, I suppose, is getting to Canada. I was like, fuck yeah. And I just found that, I don't know, I just find June's character so frustrating. And so. As does everyone around her. Yeah. And so stuck mm. that I'm like, I was really going, I was. Looking for some more now that she's free, there's a bit more space to kind of move, explore character, all of that stuff. And instead, she's just a revenge monster. And I was like, snooze. Oh, see, that's that's where I disagree. The because it can't be it can't be that easy. It can't it, ha- it has to be hard. And the realistically, but it's not hard. No, it it obviously is. The, 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 it's this, not. The, she's the, like she's solely yeah, focused. Like she that focus, that rage, mm. that anger is has allowed her to survive for three and a half seasons in the worst place in the world for a woman. Basically, yeah, I right? get that. Yeah. It's the only thing she had. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, while it's also created problems along the way, no doubt, it also is what got her. Eventually, finally, reluctantly, got her out of Gilead, mm-hmm. and it's tied up with so much guilt, mm-hmm. and 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 there was power there as well that just letting it go was never going to happen, and could never have been the story. That's and not what I want. That's not what I want. Then, I don't want her to just let it go. Then what happens then? What what should have happened instead? Well, I. Like I said, I feel like I May Destroy You has like a great kind of balance and a really, they tell it beautifully of like, you know, in that show, that character definitely has like revenge fantasies and there is like a lot of anger around that. But there's also more. And this show feels just so simplistic in a lot of ways in how it wants to demonstrate the complexities of trauma. That it just isn't very interesting to me. I mean, yes. No, I agree with that. And I May Destroy You was the reason we gave that show five stars. The same reason you probably gave season one of The Handmaid's Tale five stars is that it felt it's a complete whole. It Mm. isn't thinking about the next season when it does Mm. its story. And that doesn't mean you should give The Handmaid's Tale leeway because the story's ready to end. The story's ready to end, right? Mm. Don't delay it just because you need to have more stuff. But I don't. This is not me diminishing the trauma that was in 
I may destroy you. But there mm-hmm. is certain level of the amount of trauma that we're talking about here as well. Yes. Whereas I may destroy you is a much more relatable or everyday sort mm-hmm. of story. And in fact, a lot of that show is showing you not just what happens to Michelle Cole's character, but Michaela Cole's character, sorry, but also the other characters around who've had other versions of the same sort of trauma and how that's affected mm. them. Handmaid's Tale's going for a whole different level here. And yeah. yes, it is that torture porn sort of thing. And so, of yeah. course, if that's exhausting to you, but like this is essentially on the war- scale of war is yes. what they're going for here, and which I, is a different I, story. I think I, which is totally fine. They're allowed to tell that story. Uh, but I also think... I feel like I've moved past, me personally, have moved past this kind of story of sure. like yep. female trauma. Like when mm-hmm. season one came out 17 years ago, I was like, wow, cool, awesome. Um, yeah, I, I just think I've moved beyond these, what I think is simplistic revenge, angry stories. That word I also disagree with, simplistic, because Mm. I think if it to resolve it too easily is also simplistic, and I'm not saying it can't, like, again, I May Destroy You proves that there is a way to tell that how you grow and move on after trauma in a very complex and beautifully illustrated way. That finale still is some of the best television I've seen in years. Um, but it, I I think this is simple. I think the the if if anything, it's talking about how difficult it is. It's it's almost inescapable for some people, and that might be the story of June. Is that mm. she is already destroyed? She is done. Mm. She's there is no return for June, which she, I think is what's happening. I think that's exactly what's happening. This is I mean, which makes me which like I said, like that is. Because, yeah, what I was saying in my spoiler free is that while going through so much shit in previous seasons, and there, are, well, I've given this the lowest ranking thing, it's just because I'm so done. Mm. But there's definitely been worse seasons. Um, but I think in terms of the other seasons when so much shit, bad shit was happening, particularly like season one and two, um, there was an element of hope of like, a, like that moment of escape or like just sure. reprieve. And here we have that hope realize and I'm not saying I want her to get there and be like happy and like healed and that's not interesting to me either but for her to arrive there and then be only this is um and the resolution of you know what happens to Commander Waterford it's just like I don't think there is any hope for June anymore um and that's and that's fine. That that can be their story. That she's so damaged, uh, you know. She, she there's no repairing what has what has happened. There's the cycle no cycle of abuse continues. It yeah. just continues within her rather than to yes. her now. She yeah. yeah. She now wants to be you know that dominating force, which I I understand all of why you would want to do that. I just don't like that story. It's a personal preference. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I mean yeah. It's not a happy story at all. Uh, <laughs> And this is where the Janine stuff is the bit that that I I'm didn't always find Janine that compelling. I mm. found her frustrating in her own way. Oh, definitely. And yet, yeah. And yet now I'm starting to see. Well, maybe Janine's coping mechanism 
was ultimately going to be more useful or perhaps healthier than June's is. Mm. And that, that duality that exists there now that I didn't really recognize before that fascinates me going forward. Because mm-hmm. if we have a June who's going to go Rambo her way into Gilead, which is very possible that's what's going to happen here. I feel like there's no <laughs> way she's staying out of Gilead for too long. I really hope she's got like, then- she walks in with like the sleeves cut off her shirt right. and like a bandana around her head. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past her. Yeah. The, she'll still wear red for some reason though. Of you course. think the trauma of wearing that might have put her off, but she's really still it's in like a safety blanket, red. I guess. I, I know, yeah. Uh, like... Probably not to exactly that extent, but to some degree, she's going back to Gilead to get to do something and to have an active role in. And this now she's had a taste of like that revenge and that power mm-hmm. that she's been able to inflict on others. She's going to want to do it more. And what Janine has done to survive, mm. to get to a point now where she can maybe manipulate the situation in a much more nuanced way. In a way that you might be able to come out the other side and survive it from as a and keep your that part of yourself, that innocence, it on any level Mm. means Janine is as a character I'm becoming more compelled to see how her story ends. And I hope it has a happy ending because I don't I can definitely see this show, even if June has a glimmer of hope, there's gonna be some life for her after Gilead. It's not gonna happen. It's gonna be a very spoilers for Inglorious Bastard, she's going to burn the place down with herself inside it, but maybe Janine gets out instead. Mm. And that's going to be our hope, that while June, it, she's too far gone now, others will be able to. And June will be a part of that solution, I guess. Um, are you talking about stalling as well or stalling growth? Yeah, I think? so they're just kind of like going back and forth with characters. I'm talking about um, Celine, S- Serena? Serena. Serena, sure. In terms of that. I I mean, I I understand the steps being taken. You know, Serena, I think vaguely. I mean, there's so many like double crossing um, intentions. Serena that- is the weakest character in the show. Yeah. Like it's she like, always I has just, been. I, it's... But, uh, sorry, but I see I say potential, weakest, I, I think, is what's annoying, is I see well, potential of a cool character, but she's just – I don't understand. I'm like, is she a sociopath? Does she have the capacity to – because the actor seems to be giving me – there is an understanding of the compromises being made, um, but then I feel like there are moments of her, like, breaking through that and seeing why those compromises yeah, no, aren't that's not the- that's not Good the story enough? of Serena. Sorry, when I say Serena's a weak character, I don't actually mean the character is weak as in they're not interesting or they're the like they're not fleshed out. I mean Serena a is person. a weak individual. Always has been. Ever since she was the person that was like championing the idea of Gilead, she has been putting her interests or the interests of men in front of herself, mm. right? She has diminished herself and other women just like her um, in an effort to gain power which is mm-hmm. what happens in these situations, sort of like anti-feminists, right? They want to be part of the boys' club so because they feel weak and diminished as a woman, so they figure the best way to do that is just get in with the boys. It's essentially yeah. what she's done for a long time now. And in this season, she goes through that cycle over and over again. There is no... we've At times, the show has made you want to think that Serena can be redeemed, and there's no yes. doubt that she is still a victim, mm. but she is weak in a way that she has no chance of ever really, really coming back she might make a decision one day that benefits other women for the first mm. time 
but it will be the shallowest victory mm. because she's had every opportunity to do that a million times earlier and doesn't. She's always just, how am I, how do I get through this next phase and not have yeah. the rawest deal possible? <laughs> I'm also just like confused about like just the internal like logic of the show in terms okay. of, so like Serena makes a deal with them mm-hmm. so that she can be with her baby and like turns on Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, and then inside the show, those people that gave her a deal, and I don't know what that deal is, but apparently it's the worst one ever because then they'll just come and arrest you anyway, which then diminishes their case against Fred to also be prosecuting her, who is someone that will be testifying against Fred. Like, I just didn't understand why you that have to happened. you have to lay the charges based on the evidence you have, and if the evidence is that Serena is more implicit in this than she initially suggested, mm. then you've got to prosecute what you've got. Right? You can't be going, well, we want to ignore that because we want to get this Fred guy instead. It's like you've got to you've got to roll with the punches that you're given here. Um, but I mean, but wouldn't the deal be? I mean, this happens all the time. The deal is that in order to testify against someone, you either aren't charged or your charges are so diminished that it's worth it for you. Like what was the deal she made that she could suddenly just be arrested and prosecuted again? Like it just uh, uh, it just like seemed like they wanted that the deal, dynamic the deal so much. That she was going to give them just, Fred. Yeah. And then Fred's like, well, hold on a second. I'm actually not the bad guy. She is. And so they have to flip that and they're going to get them both. They'll bring them on weaker charges. But that was... She was not. She was no longer the victim in their eyes, which is what they were. Which is what they were suggesting to her. I guess. Listen, it got them out. It got. It got the both of them. It. It. it what was. What was happening here is that, from a logistics point of view, it got them both into Canada, <laughs> and that was the most important thing. I think was just to get them out of Gilead, and then start to try and figure out how to use that as a resource. Um, it just seemed like really fucking contrived and stupid to me. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't, it didn't mind me that much. The the because that's so often there is these weird injustices along the way. Realistically, from a narrative point of view, it's just a way to try and figure out how to put a, a divide between Fred and Serena, and then figure out how to make them come back to each other. And well, the, the, I, that's what I understand it, but it just seems so. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Control. Like I could see. Oh, okay. Sure. What was happening, and it was annoying me. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't bother me at all. The I don't know the geopolitical side of things. As an element to frustrate seems accurate to me, even if I don't quite understand yeah. what's happening I mean, one, from a juris- jurisdiction point of view. Yes, yeah. one element of that I did like, and I think was like, yeah, that's 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 right. Like what they're doing there is, you know, good. I I actually enjoy this part of the story. Is like, you know, the this idea that it's more than just like one broken system like Gilead while yes you know the the crimes that are happening there are obviously worse but that this this kind of the current systems that we have in place now certainly in no way protect women or victims yeah June um, walks out of that 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 bit where June walks down to the street after she does that like on taped testament Mm. thing she's gonna do and then looks at the sky and starts talking about like the blue and a flashback to when she was being abused in like mm. season one was extremely effective, I thought, in illustrating mm-hmm. that point. It's like, yes, it's not the same abuse, but mm. this is not, this is still 
Yeah. I'm being used here. Yeah. And like, no one actually yeah, our, cares about Our current day is not this like I- idyllic kind of system that like is like justice and fairness and you just oh. need to get there and then everything works out. Like that's I, – I like the complexity around that. I really did. That happens on multiple levels. I'm really – it's one of the things I really enjoyed about being in Canada so much this season and was things like the, the foreign aid stuff that was happening and like the complexities about the nature of that, which I've never mm. seen a television show about like the limitations of what you can and can't do and what mm. happens if you if – you, step over the line and yeah. all of a sudden and like that decision one of my honestly one of my favorite episodes was the one where Moira finds June and then they're trying to get her back to Canada. Mm-hmm. And it felt like an episode of Star Trek is like there is no good options here. Every option <laughs> is terrible. It's about w- what do you end up choosing and why? Sorry, I did not expect that comparison. Seriously, to be made. It's, it was a moral but conundrum. I, I like it. It's yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It was a, they, they did. They literally got the crew to stand in the, on the bridge essentially and discuss the problem and figure mm-hmm. out, have a vote of what they're going to do. It was very like, yeah, moral conundrum sort of situation. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, then yeah, what's working and what's not back in Canada in terms of like the group therapy stuff that they're doing, how the children that got out, the eighty-six children that got out, are not just you know just taking to their new lives mm. easily, that that's complex. And that they're, these people make these bold gestures to save these children, quote unquote, but then it, there's the ongoing effect of that that other people have to deal with. Mm-hmm. June Osborne might be a hero because she did Angels or was the behind Angels flight, but that's not where this ends. What that does for international relations between this dystopian society in Canada that's just trying to like hold on to the version of reality that we know that Canada isn't perfect, that Canada sometimes feels vaguely like it's doesn't realise that it's not that far away from maybe being, to, you know, being engulfed by Gilead itself. That mm. bit where the Waterfords have a bunch of people show up supporting them on the street. Mm. My initial reaction was, oh, who the fuck would be pro-Waterford? But then I just have to go, well, hold on a second. How many fucking millions of people voted for Donald Trump? It's mm. like, of course there are going to be people that that agree with them and that support them. And that's really scary because Canada is susceptible in the same way. And they shouldn't believe that they're safe for a second, that the fire can come for them as well one day. I, it's The thing is, it's not the forefront of the show. It always, always focuses back on June. And so if you're not enjoying June, yeah. if you are done with June... It's getting in the way of telling all those other stories yeah. for you. I, I think, think you hit the nail on the head with that one. You really yeah. did. I think like, because everything you're saying, I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. with you there. I really am with you there. Totally. It's it. There is a June problem in this show. The chosen oneness of June is not working for me. Oh, now that is that is an interesting point as well. The way that people talk about June on this show now, particularly people like Aunt Lydia, right, and mm. talks about, well, she was the bad seed and it's all about her. The Delilah. Even like mm. Joseph and stuff like that talk about her. It's like, yeah, the show has, it's not just the within the the, the audience that has a mythos around June anymore. The, the people within mm. the world of Gilead and this, and this version of reality She's built up so much now. Mm-hmm. And there's a power in that idea of symbols, I guess, that June mm-hmm. could be a symbol. But it doesn't seem it doesn't it seems a little bit below what this show could be doing. Yeah. It, that's if you want to talk about oversimplification, yeah. That could be it. Yeah. It's like June the superhero, or even being considered something like that. Mm. Doesn't yeah, I think ring I really liked 
in season one, like, you know, we have like all that narration and stuff. It really, and, you know, flashbacks or whatever, you know, June could be any of us, you know what I mean? It's not because she's special. She's just an, a normal woman who is having to deal with this yes, situation. Yes, yes. Yep. Um, but now she's she's not that. Um, and I understand the reasons why. But then to trans- transform her into, yeah, this like, yeah, the one, um, it's less interesting to me. I don't think it's as simple as her being the one. I think the show posits that that on some level that's how she's being seen. Mm. She is turned into a bigger, and that's and that doesn't help with but her ongoing issue. It's also the function issue. of the show, like the things the that the she's just- able to do yeah. um, to get away with. Um, the constant ability to survive situations that she absolutely should not survive. Yeah, um, gives us that. The t- the TV that's where the that becomes pulpy and like campy, right? Yeah. How many times has June been in a situation she should realistically be dead or yeah. at least injured in such a way as to two episodes later she shouldn't be able to function as well as she does. Mm-hmm. She is superhuman healing qualities apparently. Yeah, and. The show, it's very Being convenient. sent to a Magdalene colony. I get that they love a uterus, now, but good Lord, now, you would absolutely hang that woman. So, so yeah. there's, there's an interesting discussion to be had there, though. The, okay. But the show didn't do it. I was mm-hmm. thinking about that, too. It's like, at some point, if June, June's symbol or, or like, um, heroic sort of quality has grown to the point of like legend almost that just mm. killing her as and making her a martyr mm. doesn't necessarily isn't know the best interest but there are ways to make june osborne quietly disappear yeah well and that's then spread thing, yeah. misinformation about what happened to her and just subtly destroy her legacy so it yeah. didn't matter anyway but the show wasn't gonna do that going back this idea of the magdalene colony mm. i was like I'm because pre- I know because I've been spoiled where the show's going. I'm like, I really appreciate the bait and switch here. You're telling right. me you're going to do this a fucking again, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really glad that didn't. Ha- and I knew it wasn't going to happen, but mm. like, I would have been, I would have had a June Osborne rage going if she was back in another fucking <laughs> house as a handmaiden. It would have, I that would have been it. I would have been done. There's no yeah. way this makes sense anymore. It is interesting though. How <laughs> the justifications they go to to figure out how to continue to make people handmaids, even Janine, it's insane mm. that she can be a handmaid again. <laughs> it's insane yeah. they would let her do that. Mm. She has been so close to this. Like, I don't. I also can't figure out what happened to the Je- the the women in the Jezebel or whatever it was that mm. June and their they they poisoned in like season episode two or whatever. Mm. They killed like. A bunch of commanders. There was some... Any assessment, they're going to kill most of those women. Yeah, they're all dead. All of them. They're all dead. Well, we hear in one episode someone say that like, oh, that's right, when June meets that woman in the greenhouse after she killed that, they they like cleaned out Jezebel's after that. So June's just like going through the world and just like as soon as she leaves, everyone just fucking dies. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I do like this idea that, like, June leaves bigger messes behind her mm. that others have to deal with. Yeah, she but, sucks. Um, but they don't, aside from Moira getting a little bit shitty that she's trying to rehome people, mm. which is a half a conversation with Emily, they don't really go into that in a meaningful way, I don't think. Mm. Uh, are there? How, did you have any thoughts about, like, the Luke and um, June situation? Uh, or about Moira um, or Emily. Should we talk about the raping of Luke? 
Yeah, that was full on. She said, she said, stop. She said, wait, bud. What are you doing? He said, wait, I should say. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, oh, I, 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 I understand. I understand. It's very upsetting to watch. Mm-hmm. I just don't want anyone to be raped on this show. Yeah. I really don't. That's my wish for the world is less rape on Handmaid's Tale. And there is less, but actually my hope is for zero. Zero rapes to be seen. Yeah, that was hard to watch. Um, it's also just like it is hard to kind of watch Luke, who has been trying to do good stuff, be so clueless. Like I enjoyed seeing Emily and Moira. Um, I can't remember the name of that. Um, Martha. Rita. Yeah. People who know but still kind of like contain their humanity interacting with June. I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. I just, I guess I found Luke a bit meh meh, you know. Oh, was, I, like, I thought that was the the ultimate and obvious but rel- relatively well-illustrated tragedy of the situation is he can never yeah. know. He can yeah. never, well, ever yeah, know. Well, yeah, absolutely. No wonder she fantasizes about her escapes with Nick. <laughs> who, if you ask me, is a piece of shit. He's commander. He is literally. Oh, that brings. Okay. Like, so I'm, maybe I'm just not seeing anything or I've forgotten something. You know me. I forget everything. But um, why can't Nick just leave? Yeah. The, when, when he like saves her um, from being killed or whatever, and he's going to send her to the colonies and puts her in the truck, you know, and mm. they meet the bridge. It was like. Is this it? Is Nick leaving with her? Because you know what? That'd be pretty interesting. Can that love romance survive in the normal world? What happens when she's also back in the same city as Luke? Mm. Uh, when she has to make a realistic choice here, not just have these two lives that she's living that are unrelated for the most part and she can just exist in one or the other um, as she pleases. Mm. And then he just doesn't leave. <laughs> does <laughs> does I mean, he literally meets her... Like in a house. Yeah. I think, Apparently, in he Canada. can go anywhere and do anything by this himself. This is that convenience I'm talking like, about, which has really started yeah. to become a problem. It's like when they can just make a phone call. Let's have a chat, guys. Yeah. And there's no real feeling of separation well, between the, and the rest of the world. The world has five people, yeah. and they all live right next door to each other. It's literally fucking Seinfeld. Yeah. Like apparently, they can just zoom into each other's apartments. And be like, hey, what are you doing today? Like, it's just so bizarre. Yeah. That, but like that- the whole Nick thing is infuriating. How can it be that easy? In fact, him even doing what he did for June and being able to have that kiss on the bridge and stuff like that, it's like there's nobody keeping an eye on you. You've got none yeah. of these soldiers. We we get a Martha somewhere back, I don't know where, back in where Boston or whatever, seems to know that there were two handmaids that were spotted fucking in Chicago and they passed it on to Joseph. Yeah. If they can know that, how does no one inside the Gilead military complex know that Nick is doing dodgy as fuck shit all yeah. the time in really obvious ways. With, like, it's, like, public enemy number one. It's not, like, just some, yeah. like, random chick. It's, like, an active, like, terrorist trying to take down their government. Yeah. 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 The the, the Nick stuff doesn't work for me. I find yeah. he, he seems to have this superhuman ability to go under the radar. Yeah. I, I, I don't like his character. I don't think I ever really have. <laughs> I don't really, I'm not invested in that romance. Uh, nothing about it speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, do you, how do you feel about Lawrence, uh, Joseph Lawrence? 
Bradley confused. Whitford's character. I feel Very confused, confused about Lawrence. They I can like, use don't... him in whatever way they want. Yeah. Whether he wants to be the good guy that day, slightly more on the side of good, slightly more on the side of bad. Yeah. They just I, put him yeah. wherever they want. I mean, like, I, I also have questions of like, well, why don't you leave? Like, yeah. <laughs> the people who, like, the men who are like commanders or whatever, who seem to fucking hate the system, but also like, don't want to go. Like, I'm confused about what they're doing there. Like, are they trying to undermine it? Because they seem to not really be doing anything unless there's things that I'm not seeing. So let's say instead of the 22 Marthas yeah. that they got out of whatever, right? Which I actually like that as like, you made me choose five girls over my daughter mm. in a couple of episodes earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make you choose... 22 women over this one rapist. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a very well-manoeuvred thing that June did here. Mm-hmm. She's either going to prove how fucking broken the system is or she's going to get her way. And she got her way. But if you showed up and said, how about I give you this guy? Mm-hmm. He knows just as much, if not more, about how Gilead works. He built the system as it is. Mm-hmm. We get him out. He's also not a rapist. So you can still charge this guy. He's got his own problems that need to be dealt with, but he didn't systematically abuse women the same yeah. way that Fred did. Yeah. Because we know he didn't do that. We know he was, in fact, abused in his own way by Fred when they mm-hmm. forced him to have sex with June in season three. It's like, this guy, it's a little bit easier to swallow that maybe he doesn't get a jail sentence or anything like that. Yeah. But that wasn't an option they put on the table, so they never got to explore that. <laughs> yeah. I, I did have I'm that thought too. myself when he was there at that like little diner. I was like, oh, okay, well, he's probably going to try and maneuver his way out as well as as one would. Um, but no. I, I mean, I guess I can like justify that he built the system and has seen what it has become and perhaps he wants to like see if there's any way that he can fix it because he's still allowed to help tinker with things. Um, despite being a traitor or whatever, um, that still makes no sense to me why he's allowed. Anyway, whatever. Um, but that could be his justification, but I'm not really seeing that in the show. Like everything just seems a bit murky. I I think also just Gilead is becoming less and less convincingly like, um, good at being this authoritative regime, authoritarian Mm -hmm. regime. It actually feels a little bit clumsy. Um, they're not good at negotiating. They make terrible compromises. Uh, who's running the show at this point? I'm not really sure. Mm. When they can bring Fred back and then still organize via Nick this like brutal beating by these women in no man's land or whatever, it's like this is a sloppy regime now. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and, I, and it just feels like it could crumble at any second. And maybe it's it is a story of how it over time just sort of defeats itself. Mm-hmm. And that might be compelling, but I don't know. It's become less imposing in some way because of that. It's mm. scary. Don't get me wrong. It's yeah. obviously there are people inside this thing and the system is is holding up brutality. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like it's not going to... I don't know whether it's about to expand and take over the world or it's about to crumble and fall on its ass. It's mm. both at the same time and I'm not sure... I think it also, you know, doesn't help. Because, like, I guess last season, like, we got to see, like... Washington and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so it felt really big and yes. now it feels really small again. So yes. the might yes. of Gilead yes. feels much smaller. Yes, agreed. It does. Yeah. The, the world has shrunk. 
mm. because especially because of what they had to do once they got back to Canada. Yeah, mm. uh, I did like the what they did with Rita though. A very very small mm. little like, this is what life's like for her being part of like helping these children to reclimatize or climatize mm-hmm. to their new lives. Mm-hmm. And even just seeing that she's found a place of contentment to some degree. That yeah. little scene with her eating like sushi and, and edamame was yeah. like wonderful. Yeah. And she still has her faith and all of that stuff, but like, yeah, yeah she's yeah found some, yeah, like I said, peace. It, it was, I, I also enjoyed that stuff. Yeah. what do you think of the Emily stuff and the art that wanted her forgiveness in, I think it was episode nine. Um, I mean, not great. (laughs) I thought, I don't know, like her going to see that woman, that woman having hung herself. I was like, I I thought it was boring. I was like, I wanted, I don't know. I, I find Emily really interesting, um, in her, her softness, but then sure, let's see like the hardness below the surface. Cause she, you know, does have that. She fucking ran over a guy, which I love that scene. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she does have that capacity of just like, fuck this. I've had enough. Um, so I do like Emily as a character. I don't know. I'm just not, con- I don't know. I guess I just wasn't convinced that like that was the path for Emily. I, I think Emily is sort of going to be that there's Moira who seems to have it very figured out that mm-hmm. like anger and revenge is not the way forward. Mm-hmm. And you've got June who's like, you've got the angel. Moira is the angel on your shoulder and June's yeah. the devil on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And Emily is going to represent all those women in that group in between and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what life is like moving forward for them. Mm-hmm. And right now, June, the devil is winning is what yes. we know. Whatever. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes? Um, not really, but I'm gonna say something that you really gonna disagree with. Here we go. Um, I think I think Elizabeth Moss has lost all subtlety. I think all she does now is twitch her eyes and scowl, and I'm fucking over it. That's yeah, all it is. Really, twitching eyes really, and scowls. Twitching I mean, eyes and scowls. She is she is fueled by anger and revenge. One That's, note, one note, one note snooze. They 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 really are leading. There's a problem though. It's like I, I made a list last season of like all the different versions of the June face we get because basically every episode <laughs> yeah. has at least one, if not ends or starts an episode with the extreme close up on June's face. And yeah, you're right though. She is like at the peak of her anger and uh, revenge at the moment. And it's all that twitching eye and like middle distance staring. And yeah, that's true. I think that's, but I don't necessarily think that's Elizabeth Moss's fault. I think that's where the story has her at right now. That is all she's got going on for her right now. She is completely consumed by it. Every discussion that has to do with showing any sort of like forgiveness or moving on is instantly cut down by her, but that's not justice. And that's all she has going. That's mm-hmm. that's that that's, that, that right. is that's where it. they want the character. That is it. That's all that's going on. Uh, a few little details, just that I came across as watching the show. the The actress that plays Esther, 
uh, or Mrs. Keys in the first mm-hmm. couple of episodes, then shows up as a handmaid at the end of towards the end of the season, played by McKenna Grace. My first thought was like, boy, she looks like Kenan Shipka. Mm. Turns out she played a young Sabrina in Sabrina, so they actually cast yes. her. I had to the be same thought. Yeah, yeah. Instantly, I was just like, oh, okay. Uh, Zoom is officially a verb because it's now being used in The Handmaid's Tale, but it also made me wonder. That really bothered if they, me. If they're talking about zooming, does that mean the COVID-19 pandemic happened in this world as well because God knows Zoom only became big because of the pandemic. Like if that if the COVID-19 never spread across the world, we'd still be saying Skype, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the best, I really appreciate the, the use of the song At Last by Etta James because it is a really overused love song. Mm-hmm. But to express that like feeling of we're finally fucking in Canada with June mm. with the song at last, I thought it was kind of cute. <laughs> I hate the needle drops in this show. I, I hate them. I liked a few of them. Mm. Um, it does have an interesting relationship. I said this before. It does have a really interesting relationship with pop culture, this show, because it uses a lot of needle drops and it references mm. other things here and there. And it's always confusing is what reality we live in where these things exist. Anyway, uh, You Don't Own Me by Leslie Gore was used over the beating of Fred at the mm-hmm. end of the season. It was also used as the end credit sequence in the pilot back in mm. season one. So there's a few callbacks actually throughout the bit where June is yelling at um, uh, Do You Understand Me to Serena was obviously mm. called back to, I think, in season one yeah. scene as well. There's a little bit of that. Even the bit where they had the torches in a circle and they were beating on Fred, mm. sort of the, the shot from above. I was like, I'm pretty sure we've seen that before. I'm trying to remember. There was some justice thing they did where they were like when throwing stones. Yeah. There were stones. I was like, I couldn't remember exactly. I was like, that's invoking the same sort of idea. Mm. Um, I, we didn't really talk about that. I know you didn't like the ending. Mm. I don't, does, do you get any satisfaction from seeing Fred? Nope. None whatsoever. None. No, I mean, of course I've always wanted Fred to fucking eat shit. Of course I have. Um, I just like, it just felt so cheap and silly. It silly is- that it ends with him in a random woods being chased by a mob of handmaids. It is Tarantino-esque. In like it's that violent revenge fantasy come to life. Mm. It's like Inglorious Bastards or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you use because you should never um, ca- like support this in real life. Mm. Seeing in the media, you get to enjoy the satisfaction of that. Mm. But where do they go with that? That's the problem, though. If the season does... Well, no, no. This is why I think they should have ended. If they ended the show, here's a perfect place. Because Mm. the discussion from then on is, was that the right ending for the show or what is the show saying? Mm. I think there was a lot of complex ways to look at that. But knowing that that the show goes forward in season five, it has a real responsibility to talk about that and what Mm. that really means. It just seemed also, like, so easy. Like, for a show that, like, makes everything or for, for a very long time so hard... Just for June to be able to have organised all of that with Nick. Sure, earlier in the show we've seen that she can do that, though I don't think it should be that easy. Sure. Um, so that's so easy. And then to have all these women be in these woods, no one knows that they're there. It's, it was just like the logistics around it bothered me and took me out of it. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying and I agree with that on some level. I also mm-hmm. think that because this is not the ultimate ending, right, that... Mm-hmm. This is 
this is the cap on one thing or mm-hmm. or June's going to feel like it is, but really it's the start of the next question about what, how does June move on? It doesn't worry me that much. Mm. But I understand what you're saying. It's like, if this was like, and victory was achieved and it felt super <laughs> easy to do, but I don't think that's yeah. what's going for. But I get what you're saying. Um, I wonder how often... I wonder how often that woman tells clients about her grandma's dumb green persim- persim- pers- was it persimmon thing about like my oh, grandma yeah. used to tell me to bury a green persimmon in the backyard for good luck. It's like what the fuck. I like to think that in like the staff room, she walks in and everyone just kind of like, oh fucking that persimmon woman's here I, again. Seriously, <laughs> what the that fuck? Yeah, what a uh, useless story. Thanks. Was the lip reading thing a retcon? I don't remember the lip reading thing. Can you remember? There was, in the end of The Crossing, they like, they're talking, there's a bit where June's talking about how when they were like handmaids, back in Handmaid University, mm. <laughs> they like learnt to lip read. They taught each, like they just learnt to read each other's lips. Yeah, I don't have any memory of that. Yeah. but who, That but felt to me like, oh, we need them to be able to communicate silently. So we're going to tell you that they learnt to lip read somewhere along the, along the line, but we've never brought it up before. I mm. think that's what happened. I was a little bit confused by that. I'm also very confused by the timelines in this show now. Mm. There's a scene where they're talking with Joseph and Nick and the council and Gilead are talking about how they're going to have a 24-hour ceasefire and then just before the ceasefire ends, they're going to have the bombing because all the cockroaches will be out of the walls, right? Mm-hmm. Next scene, bombing takes place. And I'm like, I thought there was going to be 24 hours. Mm. <laughs> I don't understand when things are taking place in conjunction with each other time-wise anymore, things seem to happen instantaneously or the timelines aren't overlapping like I expect that they yeah, are. Yeah, I was I was confused about that as well because, like, obviously the all the, you know, the humanitarian people are still there. Yes. And so I assume they, because they're, like, sticklers for the rule, they wouldn't be staying over the time limit that they have been given. They definitely didn't stay over the time limit. That was the point, right? Yeah, Is that's that- what I mean. So I was like, well, are... Does that mean Gilead has started the bombing early? Like what? Well, no, they, I, I they, was... they said that was their plan, right? They were starting the bombing early. What what they didn't establish no. to me was like, I never got the sense that everyone in Chicago knew that there was a 24-hour ceasefire. Do you know what I mean? It was like they arrived at the barracks of the Nighthawks, which was mm. a group we never saw, we just talked about. And then they said, oh, there's no soldiers here. Where are they? And... It's because Gilead had moved their troops out because they're going to do the bombing during the mm. ceasefire, but our characters didn't know there was a ceasefire because they just discussed it in the scene beforehand, and then we went straight to the bombing, which was had to have been at least twenty four hours after, or just under. So they didn't hours. bomb earlier then. They they so <laughs> the ceasefire happened. <laughs> yeah, but we never saw it. We just cut to close to the end of the ceasefire. Right. And then they did the bombing. So the idea is they did bomb early, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They did bomb early. That was their plan, mm-hmm. was to call a ceasefire and then bomb early. But we never Which got this. seems s- like a bad thing to do in terms of like negotiation, saying you have a ceasefire. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> this is what I mean where it doesn't, Gilead doesn't seem to make sense to me anymore in yeah. terms of how it's, it's like it's going to, it's just digging itself a bigger hole. Mm. <laughs> But maybe they're more powerful. I don't know. That's what I mean. It was confusing. It's like, I don't understand the timeline. I don't understand what our characters know. I don't understand. Mm. It's like a scene, they talk about it. They're going to implement this thing. And then they're at the end of that implementing the thing. But the character, anyway, confusing. Moving on. Uh, Jude probably should have gone to the hospital when she arrived in Canada. 
No yeah. wonder she slept for 17 hours. She likely had a concussion. That was no, well no, established. No, no, let's take you to a fancy hotel. <laughs> yeah. What the yeah. hell? Um, also, that postage on that finger, this is again where timeline's confusing. Mm. Like, that finger arrived at the barracks before June got home from beating that guy to death. Mm, that express postage. That's an ultra express post she paid for on that one. That's incredible. Uh, some quotes I liked. Can we play the new Fortnite, says the kid to uh, to Luke. No, kid. There is no new Fortnite. Fortnite just updates consistently. There's never going to be a Fortnite 2. <laughs> you what idiot. What are you talking about? Idiot kid. Uh, am I allowed now when she's Serena's doing the reading and Fred asks her to do some gobes mm, and things? That was good. Oh, that was a nice little barb. And my favourite of all, though was when Fred's asking the commander who comes to visit for, like, their assistance, why have you done negotiations? You're not doing anything to try and get me back? And he's like, so he basically just says thoughts and prayers. And I was like, mm-hmm. fuck you, Fred. You're not getting shit. <laughs> You're fucked, mate. Yeah. Uh, least favourite favorite episode. What was your least favourite episode, Damask? Um, episode three for me. So that is the one where, ah, oh, the reunited... June and Lydia are finally back together again. Yep. Um, lots of torture. I, I was just, I was like, no. Because obviously I didn't know where we were going. And I was like, oh, I can't, I cannot do this anymore. I was <laughs> so upset. I was like, I can't, I can't believe they're doing this to me again. I couldn't, yep. I was beside myself. So the entire episode, I was like, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. I hate it. I hated it. I was I was feeling so much rage. I I'm surprised I kept going with the series. To be honest with you, I was beside myself. It's funny because that was one of the reasons it was one of my favorite episodes because it was deliberately <laughs> trolling the audience at that point. I know. Like, I just I. But how dare you? You know what I mean? Like that just is <laughs> bullying at that point to be like, yeah, it's mean. It was we're, mean. We're in the cycle of abuse too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my least favorite episode is episode five, Chicago. Mm, June ugh. was a. Fucking moron on that episode, and yeah. I, I and like I'm here to defend that she is someone who is solely driven by this awful rage from uh, etc. Mm. But she was just being dumb, like really dumb. We can take these guys. I'm pretty sure I heard a tank roll by, mate. I don't <laughs> think you can take these guys right now, and that's not your fucking mission. Mm. What the fuck are you talking about? Mm. That gave me the utter shits, and and. June has never seemed dumber, I don't think. Mm. Um, also, I, I just that the the timeline of the bombing thing confused me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was just an odd episode. It wasn't as well structured or cohesive as other episodes had been, I thought. I thought generally the show is really good at sort of starting with one idea and having a central theme and moving things form a little bit but still feeling like a complete whole. This episode just felt a little bit like messy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your favourite episode? Uh, mine's going to be episode six because it was – Yeah, it was – it really, it was a simple thank God moment. Like yes. I needed a change. I wanted to feel that story moving. I didn't want that, you know, catch and release horror film that I'd been forced to watch anymore. Um, yeah, I wanted us to move forward with new and interesting stories to tell. And I was like, oh, what a great moment of catharsis that was. Like it also yeah. had great like tension. I think like the resolution of like them just being able to print an ID as though like there wouldn't be a boat manifest with exactly who is on board and all so that I was, waiting for was as silly. Well. Um, but I, but at that point I was just glad <laughs> that it was working. So I was like, whatever, go for it. I, I had the exact same thing. I thought it mm. was long awaited character moments of catharsis, mm-hmm. like Moira finding June and her not 
recognizing her because of her concussion was great. Then mm. when she finally sort of starts to piece it together and gets get a bit more lucid in the back of the truck, mm. that was a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the ongo- that discussion when they're like, we have to go now and you yeah. need to leave. And like the thing was, it always was going to have to be a huge, huge struggle or a big moment for, for June to choose to leave. She's had multiple ch- chances to get out of Gilead mm. and as every step of the way has said, no, I'm staying for Hannah. So it took a fucking concussion and ridiculous danger to get yeah. her onto that fucking boat. And even then she didn't really do it willingly. I, I'm glad it felt so difficult, but also mm-hmm. it felt so cathartic at the same time. As you yeah. said, I think just the moral dilemma of like, what does this mean for foreign aid organization to, to get this fugitive out of Gilead? Mm. Yeah, it just had a lot going for it that episode. Yeah. Really I also it. just like really appreciated, you know, June feeling the need to apologize to Luke and you really just seeing like all those pieces coming together. Like, yeah, if you left without her, that, yeah, that amount of pain and regret and guilt, yeah. I thought in that moment was really beautifully done. Yeah. I agree. I was going to ask you predictions, hopes, concerns. You don't have any, you're just not coming back. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, I said the Janine stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, beyond that, I've, I've just stopped thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think I've said a lot of what I expect. I expect June is going to go back into Gilead with some sort of revenge mission, mm-hmm. Rambo it up in there. Not exactly like that, but to some degree mm-hmm. that she's going back in there to, to, to inflict some hurt. I think what you're saying about Janine and Aunt Lydia is right and is actually one of the things I'm most interested in seeing where they go with that now. Uh, beyond that, as I said, though, I we are not we will not review episode uh, season five. I promise mm. you. It's off the table. Let's not even do it. <laughs> even if it's the final season. I If I'm really enjoying it, because I'll probably watch it, I might mm. get someone else onto the show who wants yeah. to talk about it. Go for it. But we definitely won't do it together and I won't inflict that upon you. And I totally think this is a, a fine place to jump off. If this is where the show ended, so. there is enough there. There's enough catharsis, but also enough moral or, or grey to that ending that just makes it sort of a fascinating jumping off point for you to decide what you want to take away from the show. Mm-hmm. And so, get out of here. Get out of here. Leave. You're free. I'm gone. You're finally in Canada. Congratulations. I'm already gone, baby. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Hile of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at MaskyMoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss We Are Lady Parts Season 1. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Good night, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.